0: Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us—the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Rev. Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus— the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you.
1: Our scripture for today is Colossians 3, 1 through 24. Um, It's on the back of your bulletin. It will also be on the screen if you'd like to follow along. Um, but I have some preliminary remarks before we begin today's reading. Near the end of the passage is what is known as the household codes. They are Greco-Roman hierarchical instructions for the paterfamilia, which was the familial structure deemed acceptable in the Roman world that upheld imperial power. It's kind of a mouthful. These codes found in Colossians and other Pauline texts, have been used throughout history to enact violence on the lives of women, children, queer folks, and particularly black people in the US during the reign of chattel slavery, all in the name of Jesus. So consider this a kind of content warning. However, when we get to verse 18 with our reading together, which is where the codes begin, I'm going to stop reading and I will allow a minute or two of silence so that you can read it to yourselves. Or if you don't want to read it, you can close your eyes and enjoy a moment of serenity. Even though part of the sermon will address these codes, I'm not going to read those verses out loud because it is important that you do not hear me say those words from the pulpit. It is important that our children do not hear me say those words. Um, It's important for my own daughter not to hear me say those words. And you may be wondering why I don't just skip this section, right? Why all the fanfare? Why not just ignore it? And that would be easier in some ways to pretend that it wasn't there. But these parts of scripture will remain in the Bible whether or not we ignore them. And I would rather us deal with them together as in a place of promise and worship and community than for any one of us to stumble on them on our own and take them as God's great plan for the world. It's important that we know that these troubling and even downright wrong texts are there, so that we are not caught unaware. You need to know that I know that they're there, and I need to know that you know, because ignoring them is like carelessly leaving a weapon unattended so that a child could find it. And we need to put that in its appropriate place. So here we go. The first part of today's text is quite nice. Let's begin. Colossians 3, 1 through 24. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, enslaved and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our worship series on Colossians is called Study Hall. And today we're looking at school supplies. What will we need for this life in Christ? What do we need for our classroom, our learning lab of love that we call church? When I was a high school English teacher, The school supplies would mostly be taken care of before the first day. But I would usually have something on my syllabus that was surprising, like a composition notebook for writing day. Sometimes i would invite kids to bring a ribbon for a community building project. But we'd also start with a Mrs. Darguy pep talk, the first of many. I would say to them, there are actual tangible things you need for this class. You need to have done your homework. You of course need to do the reading. But there is also a way of entering this classroom and engaging the coursework that can't be packaged. You can't buy it at a store. You will need to open your minds, your hearts even. You need to be ready to climb into the world of these stories. You need to be ready to tell your inner critic to take a walk so your creativity can get to work. You need to accept that we won't find all the answers, and we may even be troubled by some of the things that we read. But we will trust each other, and we'll walk through it together. There were some eye rolls, of course. This was a high school class. But there were also some twinkling eyes. And beyond that, there began a trust between us. The point of the pep talk was not even that I could predict, or the point of the pep pep talk was not that I would be able to predict everything that would come up that year, even though I wrote the syllabus, even though I knew what we were going to read. The point was for us to make a pact, to walk through it together, to wrestle with it together as partners. And today's section of the letter to the Colossians deals with the supplies the church will need for the tasks ahead, and it starts with a pep talk of sorts. The writer begins, so if you have been raised with Christ. And this phrase tells us everything that we need to know about the life of the Colossians we're called to live. This phrase, so if you have been raised with Christ. It gives us the ground rules for life in Christ. They are to live by a resurrection ethic. This is an ethic that remembers our baptism. It's an ethic that affirms the goodness of embodied existence. And this is crucial. It's an ethic that is practiced in the face of death. Now, the Colossians are not in any immediate danger of physical persecution. That's not to say that they weren't in any danger. It's just that this is not an imminent threat every day. However, they do live in the Roman Empire. And empire is as empire does. We have already talked in this series about how empire holds captive our imaginations. The Romans did this in their military celebrations, their temples dedicated to worship of the state, and through Caesar's face on the coins and the town entries. But there's a subtler way that empire grabs hold of one's psyche. And it's a trick that the Hebrew prophets railed against. It's what Jesus sought to pierce, and it's what we are still trying to discern today as the continuing church. Empire wants you to believe that everything is fine. What you see is what you get. What you see is normal. And not only normal, it's inevitable. And it does this by perpetuating think- ways of thinking that go like we have no choice. That's just how things are. Power, at large, wants us to believe that the future holds nothing but just more imperial dreams. They hold us captive by this ideology of continuity, the continuity between the present and the imagined future. Things must remain the same or continue along the same ideological path. It's inevitable, Empire says. Slogans reinforce this continuity. Pax Romana, we've talked about this. There is no Lord but Caesar. Free trade, law and order, these little shorthands are hedges to hem in our imaginations for what the world could be. But the writer of the Colossians, or the writer of the letter to the Colossians, in keeping with prophetic tradition and in the way of Jesus, is shouting in protest the resurrection ethic. The writer says, you are dead to all of these lies of empire. You are not bound by the ideology of sameness. You are no longer held captive by these powers that want to eternally preserve brokenness and idolatry and oppression. When the writer tells the Colossians to set their minds on things above, he or she is not advocating to forget life on earth and think only of an ethereal afterlife. No, the writer is urging the Colossians to abandon any allegiance that is not only and foremost unto Christ. Abandon empire's vision for the world that has held them captive. Secede from unholy unions of power and money, as the poet Wendell Berry wrote. Put to death what is earthly means to put to death the remaining vestiges of an imperial imagination, and praxis that still has a grip on their lives. Put it to death before it kills them, and it will, without a second thought. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothed in compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, say boldly to empire's imagination, we beg to differ. Because this is a community renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator. And what does that community look like then? It looks like the creator. By embodying in its communal life the virtues that are found in this alternative story by God's story, arguably the truest story there ever was, the Christian way of life stands in contrast to the empire's. And this way of imagining the world that could be, the world God wants, leads us to a radically inclusive way of thinking in Colossians. In that renewal, the text says, that is, in this resurrection ethic, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, enslaved and free, but Christ is all and in all. In Christ, we are all beloved and treated as such. Greek, Jew, uncircumcised, circumcised, barbarians, Scythians, take my word for it, they were very scary barbarians, enslaved and free. Now, of course, we don't just rise out of baptismal waters or wake up one morning with a completely transformed way of life. right? Transformation takes time. Maya Angelou said, I'm grateful to be a practicing Christian. And I'm always amazed when people say, I'm a Christian, because I think, already? It's an ongoing process. You know, you keep trying and blowing it and trying and blowing it. We are a transformed people through practice. That's why we call them spiritual practices. And one of the main ways that we learn the rhythms and contours of a resurrection ethic is through what we're doing right now. Worship. Worship is a world-making endeavor. It's a Christ-centered imagination station. It's a recalibration of our hearts. The writer encourages the Colossians to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your heart, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. That's what we're doing You know, we don't come to worship to feel better about ourselves or Christianize self-help strategies. We come to be challenged to see more deeply the way that Christ is reconciling all things in creation, every atom, every whisper, every ounce of history unto himself. We come to worship to proclaim that Christ is the Lord of our lives. Not the global market, not the president, not big tech or big pharma, not military might, Christ alone. Christ is all and in all. We come to worship to be clothed with love, which always looks like justice in public. We know that love is not mere warm, fuzzy feelings. It's biased toward the vulnerable. It's suspicious of the powerful. And it's bold enough to say to empire, we beg to differ. I'd love to end my sermon here. It's a good one, right? Resurrection, ethic, and imagination, check. Yeah, come to worship, because that's what we do here. Matters, check. Love, check. But we can't end it here, because the text keeps going. The writer goes on to include these household codes reinforcing the subordination of women, of children, and enslaved peoples, and reinforcing a very specific family structure that glorifies heterosexuality over all else. It did so in that particular context in the Roman Empire, and it still does today. And not only do these codes project an image of an idealized patriarchal household, it does so with a Christological spin. Yikes. Now I get that those who want to talk about historical context and the situation of the community, which I myself like to do, would seek reasons for why these instructions were, incl- were included. I mean, perhaps they were a response to a particular problem in the community, or they were an attempt to safeguard the community from imperial rule. Even if that were so, let's be clear that historical explanations are not solutions to theological and ethical problems. Saying someone was a product of their time and leaving it at that is insufficient. This prescription for living contradicts everything that we've just talked about, everything this letter has talked about. Underpinning empire's hierarchy in the name of Christ goes against a resurrection ethic unequivocally. And it's even more glaring than that, because when the writer talks about putting to death various things, he or she includes abusive language. Things like malice and slander and lying. But abusive language is also sanitized ways of talking and thinking that serve to make a culture of violence and death appear normal and acceptable. And when Christ's name is included to give an appearance of piety, it is idolatrous. It is serving the empire. And that is taking the Lord's name in vain. We cannot reconcile the baptismal language of radically transformed lives in Christ with the household codes language of accommodation and subordination. So then what do we do with these household codes? The lectionary leaves them out completely. If you attend a lectionary-only church, you will never hear these codes said out loud. But as I said earlier, I don't really think that's the right course of action. So here's an alternative. First, we remember what we're reading. We're not reading the Ten Commandments. We're not reading the Gospel. We're not reading a prophet. We're reading a letter. Second, all of scripture is human testimony of the divine, which necessarily means that humans muck it up. We're charming in that way. We can see so clearly that the writer is mistaken by saying that these codes are part of the resurrection ethic. But he or she can't for whatever reason. And perhaps that is what we do with these codes. We remember that until God gets everything God wants, until the day of Christ, until the reign of God is fully realized, there is always a possibility of dissonance. There is always the possibility that we will strive to live so faithfully and see the world so imaginatively and still succumb to imperial imagination in some part of our lives. There's always the possibility that we will be unable to see clearly and readily when we are participants in violence and oppression. There is always the possibility that we will repeat the slogans of empire without thinking about how it tastes in our mouth. It's really something to read that this writer can say there is no free and enslaved in Christ while in the next breath telling the enslaved to honor their oppressors. The writer essentially says to feel in your heart that you're free, but don't expect anything else. It's humbling because it happens to us, doesn't it? We too have unexamined parts of our lives that are enslaved to empire story that keeps empire's death-dealing ways alive in ourselves, thinking it won't kill us. And it is good, albeit painful, for us to remember that there are places as individuals and as a church where we remain ignorant and obstinate in our practices. Consider our own church's slogan, Be Who You Are With Us, which I love. You know, it comes from our very disciple slogan, All Are Welcome, and the generic church slogan you see everywhere, Come As You Are. And these are beautiful things to say and mean with our whole hearts. And I'm not questioning that we mean them and we believe them. However, what does need to be examined regularly is how that belief is put into practice. We do this together in worship, in practices such as prayer and communal scripture reading and hearing from those who are most deeply impacted by our practices. And we ask the hard questions together, like in what areas of our church life, our individual life, our collective life as Christians in the US, are we proclaiming a resurrection ethic yet still reinforcing empire codes? How are we proclaiming a wide welcome, but still participating in oppression? Where do we still need to learn and grow and evolve? This examination is why the stickiness of living in community with each other is so important and so sticky. But the good news, the gospel, if you will, for today, is that being a Christian takes practice, as Maya Angelou said. So let's keep practicing. Let's keep showing up. Let's keep doing the homework. Let's keep coming here open minded, open hearted. Let's keep climbing into the world that God wants, that God told Moses about, that the prophets preached about, that Jesus talked about, that Jesus died for, that the early church tried to live. And let us stay soft and let ourselves be molded and shaped and formed by these stories. May we trust and respect each other enough to tell each other the truth. In verse 4 of our text today, right after the writer sets the scene for us, they say, When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Which kind of sounds like a riddle. But it's a reminder that Christ is always being revealed to us. Revelation happens all the time in our lives at moments of profound transformation. And those awakenings, those realizations are glorious. So yes, we have room for improvement always. We have room to grow and learn. But when we do, even the moment that we realize we need to, God, it's glorious.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.